Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The storm of life. That's our theme. And I said storm, I didn't say storms. The storm of life. And the title is inspired by one of hymns from Charles Wesley. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. Safe unto the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. The storm of life. Life is a storm. In the ancient world, the, the storms, and particularly storms at sea, were dreaded. The sea was regarded as being menacing and evil. Mariners, in particular, dreaded storms. The turbulent sea was a symbol of evil, and a symbol of those who cause evil. There was a fear of sea monsters. Leviathan was one such described in, in Job 41 as being invincible. And Leviathan is described in a footnote in the ESV as a large sea animal, identity unknown. One of the pictures of hideous evil depicted in the book of Revelation and chapter 13 describes a, a horrific beast coming out of the sea. John saw, saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And he goes on to describe this monster. It looked partly like a leopard, partly like a bear, partly like an ox, and partly like a lion. What a, what a horrible monstrosity. And this uh, was an, an ancient fear of the beasts from the sea of monsters. And we read quite a lot about the sea in the Bible. The book of Acts gives us dramatic accounts of storms in the Mediterranean Sea causing shipwreck. And today, we're still familiar with shipping disasters, including close by in Lake Superior. In the scripture readings today, we have accounts of storms. One from the Old Testament about Jonah, who was in a great storm and was swallowed by a large sea creature. The other story from the New Testament involved the disciples of Jesus. When I was teaching, I used to set essay-type questions, uh, and one of my favorites was compare 
and contrast. Quite a demanding sort of question because it, it requires a lot of factual knowledge and it also requires the ability to analyze that knowledge, compare and contrast material A versus material B for making false teeth or, or some, such, some such question. And as I say, this was a requiring, this was a demanding task. But today we're going to look at two storms, uh, the one in which Jonah was involved and the one in which the disciples were involved with a compare and contrast exercise, except that there's very little comparison between them. There are enormous differences in those two stories. And we're also going to, after that, look at, at storms, which we read about in, in, our, in, in Psalm 29. So we, we look at the two storms, first of all, compare and contrast. As I say, the comparison is easy and trivial. Both were heavy storms, both caused distress to the boat's occupants, and there the similarity ends. But in terms of contrast, the two are very different. I want to look at the storm that Jonah was in. And I've called this the storm of disobedience. Look, look at Jonah's history. He, we read an historical account. We, we get uh, sidetracked sometimes by saying that, that a whale can't swallow a person. But, but there are historical records of large sea animals swallowing people and disgorging them. There, there's, there are at least several historical records of this. One, one such person who was, was in a large sea animal and came out alive, the, the, the historical account said he was a gibbering maniac which is not, not surprising. Um, so we're, we're not going to get sidetracked into that issue of, uh, of whether this was possible. We're treating the story as history, which indeed our, our Lord Jesus Christ did in, in his teaching as well. What do we learn from this story? We learn an enormous amount about God and a lot about ourselves. Jonah, whose name means dove, was really the first Hebrew prophet or, or missionary who, went, who was sent to a heathen nation. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II of Israel. Despite the fact that this king Jeroboam was evil, in common with all of the rulers of the northern kingdom of Israel. The borders of Israel were extended and there was some prosperity during his reign. Jonah was commanded by God to go to Nineveh and to preach there and to call the people to repentance. They were to repent of their wickedness. And what do we know about Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the enemy, the arch enemy of Israel. 
Indeed, some 50 years later, they would conquer Israel. And it was a place of great cruelty and violence. Its roots go way back to to Nimrod in, in Genesis. It was a city built by him. And it was to the east of where Jonah was. And there was a well-known land route to get there. So what did Jonah do? He was told to go east. And I'm reversing it so it's right for you. He was told to, to, to go east. So what did he do? He went west. And, and he set out to go west as far possible as he could go west, west within, within the known world. He aimed to go to a city of Tarshish, um, probably in Spain, and that would involve sailing the length of the Mediterranean Sea, which sometimes was stormy and hazardous. Sheer rebellion and disobedience from one of God's prophets. Go east, so he goes west. He wasn't going to go to the to these people of, of Nineveh. And it, it, it cost him. He had to pay, pay money for the, for the boat ride, uh, which came to grief. And he was fleeing from God's presence. Uh, how senseless can you get? You flee from somebody who is all-knowing and all-present, and you you, you flee from his presence? How silly is that? And it didn't ultimately thwart God's purposes, because eventually uh, Jonah did go to Nineveh, and the people did repent. But it also, the the mariners in, in the shipwreck also turned to God in in their extreme distress. God was in control of all these events, despite this uh, gross disobedience by his servant. So the challenge is God is in control of the universe. And we're going to see that again and again tonight. God is in control. Is he controlling us? And are we trusting his control? So why, why did Jonah refuse the task, at first refuse the task that was, that was given him? Probably not a lack of courage, although he had been going to a hostile people uh, and uh, a violent people. The, 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 sea, the sea route to, to Tarshish was more hazardous than the much safer overland road to, to Nineveh. This, this was well known. And so it proved to be disastrous. Was it a lack of concern? Was there what, what we would today call xenophobia? Um, other nations perceived as enemies and he perceived them as enemies of God's people, not as subjects of God's compassion and care. Or was there a lack of conviction? Was he, would he be moving out of what, what he might call a comfort zone 
to a people he didn't know, to a people who were hostile, to an area he didn't know he'd never been to before, and he was uncomfortable. And perhaps we should be alert that sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone to, to work for him in, in different places. And the, an, an, another application of this is that disobedience to God's sovereign will in, uh, in, in major life decisions be disastrous, and this includes career and marriage and lifestyle decisions. The, the requirement is to obey God, the sovereign God in control. And disobedience in anything, even the small decisions of life, it, it, it is bad and can lead to greater disobedience thoughts and deeds, acts of omission. This disobedience is, is um, harmful to, 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 to the individual, but it doesn't thwart God's sovereign purposes. So what is our attitude to God's word and commandment? There are some words from the litany, and I recommend that you meditate on that sometime. A magnificent, uh, it's a magnificent spiritual exercise to do that. And these words are from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandment. Good Lord, deliver us from contempt of God's word and God's commandment. Good Lord, deliver us. So there is in this story a word of warning, but also a word of comfort. God could still use Jonah and still did use Jonah in a most remarkable way, despite his rebellious nature. So that's our Old Testament storm. Now we read a about a New Testament storm in the, in the gospel reading and a very, very sharp contrast from the Old Testament story. We've moved from the Mediterranean now to the, to the Sea of Galilee. The contrast, as I say, is enormous. The, uh, the Old Testament story was a great storm brought out by disobedience. But in the, in, in the New Testament story, when the disciples were caught in a storm, they were being obedient. If, if you look at the, the gospel reading, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. They, they were doing what Jesus wanted them to do and still they had a storm. And to try and preserve some degree of alliteration, we've had the storm of disobedience. I'm calling this a storm of discipleship. So here is a point of contrast from before. 
the disciples' storm was a result of obedience. And um, is, is this not the experience of many of us? We, we suffer sometimes because we obey. Examples, sometimes people are mocked and jeered for their faith. Someone is mocked because of their obedience to Christ. Someone is repudiated because they refuse to submit to peer pressure and refuse to join social activities. Someone not promoted because they live and work by, by ethical principles. Yes, and there's an even more severe storm for, for, that can come for believers. The ultimate price, the, 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 the price of martyrdom. Let me tell you the story of one martyr who um, I find particularly interesting. He was, he was the bishop of Smyrna in, in, in the middle of the second century, and his name was Polycarp. And he, he in fact, he was, he was a long-lived person. He had been a disciple of the Apostle John. He'd overlapped a bit with him. So Polycarp is, as it were, a link between the apostolic church and the early church fathers. As an old man, when he was bishop of Smyrna, and there was Roman persecution, he was asked to affirm that Caesar is Lord. Of course, he refused. But this was the temptation to Christians, acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. It only take a moment. Nobody will know. Just do that. He couldn't and wouldn't. And his oft-quoted response was this. He said, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? And on February the 23rd, 155, he was burned at the stake. He was faithful unto death. He was obeying God. And like many millions since, he paid the ultimate price. Uh, as many, many people today are doing in other countries, they're being, they're being killed for, for, for their faith. And I keep coming to mind a quotation from Jim Elliot. I modified it slightly, but he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep and gains what he cannot lose. Jesus taught to his disciples, In the world you will have tribulation. But he immediately followed that with the words, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes, tribulation, there may be storms coming when, when, we, obey, when we obey Christ. But who's in control? God is in control. Christ is in control. He is reigning. He is in charge. And for these anxious disciples on the boat, he... he he, he performed a, a wonderful miracle of nature. He, he walked on water. 
And if you read that in context, not long before he'd, he'd created out of nothing meals for 5,000 people. Talk about the, the, the power of, of the Savior. Yes, you have tribulation, but Christ said, I have overcome the world. So that there may, people who are on Christ's side may have tribulation, but Christ is with them. He's supporting. He is all-powerful. And so that is the, that is the, the storm of discipleship. The disciples' plight was known to the Lord, and he cared for them and rescued them. So those are the two storms, but I do want to mention Psalm 29, which I've come to see as being a very remarkable psalm. It keeps talking about the voice of the Lord. You can take a, a um, superficial reading of uh, uh, interpretation of this psalm and you see God's protection in a storm. We, we all talk about weather and climate change and things like that, and God's protection. Uh, and, and that's true. It, um, it, it, it's necessarily true, but not sufficient. But there is God's protection. Way back in Isaiah, he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. It's not if you pass through the waters, Isaiah said, but when. That's the, 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 the storm that, that, that people can come through, the storms of everyday life. But Psalm 29 has got something far more and far deeper than that in mind. If we look at the, the voice of the Lord, it thunders. The voice over many waters. You see, we've seen waters as, as symbolic of evil, but who is in control of the waters? We see, we see the voice of the Lord breaking the cedars of Lebanon, massive trees, strong trees being broken. We see flames of fire. We, we see... Uh, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Here we get a majestic picture of the, of the, the storm of divine power. The voice of the Lord about six times. And, and this, takes, this takes us away back to the creation story. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God's voice is power. And here the Lord's voice is roaring with, with his power, his, his sustaining power, and of course his creating power. He's looking after the whole universe, and he will certainly look after his followers. I want to close with a, a, a true story, a true life story. Someone, Isabel and I know, is facing storms. 
a friend of hers who, who lived alone was found in her house having passed away. And, and the police had to find this out, had to, had to break open the house to get in. What problems that resulted in. And the person we know had to, had to and is facing problems, storms, legal problems, medical problems, dealing with the property, uh, trying to find a will, and then potentially having to deal, uh, to deal with hostile distant relatives who are, who are looking for an inheritance. A perfect storm that this person we know is, is in right at this moment. And she asked us to, to pray for her, as of course we do. Uh, one of her messages said that she'd had the worst day of her life. That's the sort of storm. But there's an answer to such people. And if someone here is in storms like that, there is one answer. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is in control of everything. And if you're following him, he knows your storms, he knows your concerns, your problems, the tensions, the difficulties that you have, he knows. Turn to him, trust him. Ask him for wisdom, for strength, for guidance, for leading. Uh, and, and that is the, the, the answer for, for you as it is for, for, for the, the person that we know who is in those difficulties. And there's one more thing to be said. I started with a verse from one of Wesley, Charles Wesley's great hymns, Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past. The storms of life, the storm of life will pass. Safe into the, sa the haven, guide, O receive my soul at last. The storm of life will pass. If you read Re Revelation 21, 1, in the new heaven and the new earth, it says there will be no sea. And I interpret that symbolically, no, no, no storms, no tempests, no raging, no un un unpredictability, but calm, the calm of paradise. And the storm of time will give way to the serenity of eternity. Let us pray. Savior Christ, we thank you for your power and your glory. We thank you for your power in creating the, the, the universe. We thank you for your power in controlling, for the roar of your voice that controls and commands. And we thank you for your loving care. We thank you for your provision for us, for, for spiritual grace and your physical benefits. And help us, O Lord, in, in times of storm to turn to you, to trust you, 
to obey you, to follow you, and to witness for you. Oh, Lord, bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.